0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the seventh episode in our light sensitivity awareness podcasts. This is a bonus episode as we have another very interesting story to share with you and just knew that we had to include this. My name Rod Mountain, and I'm here today with Dr. Robert Daw, Dr. Marisa Riley, and Claire Carlin, one of our patients. We're again recording from the Scottish Photobiology Service in the photobiology units at Ninewells Hospital, and we're here today to discuss light sensitivity. This series of podcasts is a part of an ongoing patient engagement project that our service is involved with. We're trying to raise awareness of light sensitivity conditions in order to reduce the time that it takes for patients to be referred to the Scottish Photobiology Service and also to improve the lives of our patients. So, do you mind if we start with you, Claire? Just a quick introduction as our patient with us today.
1: Hi there. My name is Claire Callan. I'm 51 years old. I'm married and have two fairly old boys now. I've had EPP forever. I was diagnosed when I was three, and I was actually diagnosed in Canada. So my dad was a scientist, and we moved out there. And he noticed something was wrong with me, and it took a long time for them to figure out. So I've lived with it for.
0: Long, long a long time.
1: time. Yeah. I'm now 51 so I am a primary teacher and I don't let it define me but it's something I have. Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you. We'll get into things in a lot more detail uh, as part of this conversation but uh, Robert could would you mind introducing yourself? I'm Robert Daw,
2: uh, consultant dermatologist and clinical lead of the Scottish Scutaneous Year Service.
0: Thanks very much. And we'll be having a chat about some of the science behind things today as part of this conversation as well. And Maurice?
3: So my name is Maurice O'Reilly, and I'm one of the dermatology registrars based here in Nine Wells Hospital. And over the course of my training, I've developed an interest in photobiology and dermatology.
0: And while we're on the subject of what we're talking today, it's something I know very, very little of myself. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about erythropoietic Proto-porphyria, EPP. It's something I know nothing about. Proto-porphyria is a rare genetic condition. And there's
2: only about 50 people diagnosed with it, maybe twice that number in Scotland with it. And it's one of a group of conditions that are called porphyrias. They're actually all very different conditions, most of them. The only common thing with them is that they're all to do with a problem in the pathway to make heme which is you can think of as a, like a cage to carry iron around the body. So iron is useful in a lot of chemical reactions. But iron is poisonous if it's free. So there's a, a cage of porphyrin molecules around it that allows you to carry iron. Oh, that's a lovely way to describe it. Yeah. And so there's a, a chemical pathway to produce this heme. So one, two chemicals turn to another chemical turn to another chemical and so on. And each of the steps of that pathway it's made by an enzyme, something that sort of turns the previous one into the next chemical in the pathway. And in hereditary protoporphyria, the problem is that there's a shortage of activity of the enzyme that puts okay. iron into a chemical called protoporphyrin to make the heme. People with hereditary protoporphyria still have the enzyme, but it's not, not as active as if mm. as if they didn't have that the, the condition, and. Because there's a shortage of activity in that chemical pathway at that stage, you get a buildup of protoporphyrin. Pro- protoporphyrin is very soluble in fat, which means that in the body, all the, all the porphyrins go in the bloodstream, but protoporphyrin stays around the blood vessels, which are mainly made of fat, rather than moving elsewhere in the skin, which is why a lot of the things you get are... You actually often don't see all that much going on because when the protoporphyrin absorbs visible daylight, it's important that it's not ultraviolet light, it is, it is daylight that we see by. When the protoporphyrin absorbs the light, then leads to all sorts of other events, which causes severe pain, which, as I'm sure will be discussed, lasts for days once it's there. Other things that can happen are that we get rid of protoporphyrin in our bodies through our liver and then our bile. So most people, with their rich at some point, have shoveled some gallstones because the approach built up in the bile that no, okay, yeah. into, into stones. You can, although well, fortunately it's very, very rare, you can get serious liver disease because approach is building up in the bile ducts in the liver. If, if that was going to happen to you, Claire, it would <laughs> have happened for now. Oh, so, well, that's good. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um,
2: and, and Another thing that's Need always happening in somebody with a special of porphyry is you ha- tend to have a slight anemia, and mm-hmm. that slight anemia is often mistaken for iron deficiency because when you look at a blood count film, it looks like iron deficiency anemia. But if iron is given at the standard doses to treat iron deficiency anemia, it can make porphyria much worse. Oh, right. So
0: you actually aggravate something, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you're nodding your head. If,
2: <laughs> I concur,
1: because yeah. we, we tried that, didn't we, once just, and it was to be a finite amount of iron to see if that would help. And I think between your letter and the pharmacy, I triple dosed on it. And I have never had such a bad reaction. And at a time of year where you could have been burnt, it was quite in March time, April, and I could not believe how sore I was. So I've decided that. Well, we decided I will not be having iron again. <laughs> My iron days are done. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> and, she going right back, do you have any childhood memories? You know, yours goes back to very oh, yeah. early in life.
1: Well, I, d- I don't remember, obviously, being diagnosed. I do remember school when I was little, and I went to – I mean, I've had a fantastic life, don't get me wrong, I've had a brilliant life. But when I was little and I was at primary school, we went to a small village school. Obviously, I'm quite rare with what I have – and back in the 70s, 80s, when you went to school, you didn't want to be different. Mm-hmm. So therefore, even though I had the option to wear long sleeve tops and skip caps and so on, no gloves. I don't think we were ever gloves then. I just remember summers were really hard because I would just be so burnt. Through primary school, especially because our head teacher, bless him, I absolutely loved him, very into sport. I love sport. But our school sat up on a, sort of up a hill and we would if the weather was sunny every summer term if it was really nice outside we would be taken to the park to play non-stop cricket mm-hmm. and rounders and i invariably knew that i'd be standing there and within five minutes it was so sore and i would spend the night when i went home from school it then is like dr Doe said it's very painful and you go through heat sensitive pain so you have to cool your skin down but then as soon as it gets too cold it's agony so you have to warm it up again. So I just remember days and nights, particularly poor mom and dad would come through and I probably had very little sleep. And I just used to have face cloths that would wrap over my hands. And then when it got too hot again and the water was too hot, mom and dad would have to change them. So yeah, I, I do remember- So you a very
0: clear childhood memory yeah, of- Yeah, that
1: was just, and then just things that I couldn't do. So, well, no, I was that bothered to be fair because in primary five, six, seven, you would do a big walk. That was your trip. Mm-hmm. And I hated walking, so (laughs) I could use it and get out of it. But other things that I really wanted to do, I couldn't do, or I could, but it would be just too sore. So I tried a quadrathlon one year, which I successfully did about three years later. But the quadrathlon, I was burnt within five miles of the walk, and it was just so painful it wasn't worth trying it again. So I do think there are things that I missed out on, but that was the path I was given, so...
0: You, obviously, as a child, weren't part of actually making the diagnosis. How is the diagnosis made? I'm coming back to academics. I mean, a lot of it is thinking about it in society. And a lot of people, a lot of doctors,
2: if somebody says they have severe pain on daylight exposure, or the parents say, my three-year-old child screams when the sun hits them, they Mm -hmm. think, that's a bit odd. Mm -hmm. There's nothing to see. It's often not investigated initially. If it's thought of, it's actually quite easy to diagnose in the sense that you can measure the red cell protoporphin and that really makes the diagnosis. But quite often, the diagnosis is, is thought of, but it's still missed for a long time. I, I, I think of a patient I recently saw who's now diagnosed in her 40s, uh, having had it since childhood, and they thought of it in three different countries that she lived and mm-hmm. worked in, but they sent off like, the wrong samples. They sent off urine oh, okay. orphans yeah. and urine yeah. orphanphs are usually normal in the here suppress good porphyria, but not in other porphyrias.'s that's, that's why I was sort of emphasizing that, that although the of conditions called porphyria, they're all very different from each other. For this one you have to think that's what I'm selecting. and so this is the test that I want.
0: Yeah. It's that awareness I think which is so important with these podcasts is just making the medical world uh, practitioners aware, but if somebody comes along with those symptoms, to be aware of it.
1: I think my parents didn't know what it was. They had no yeah. clue. And when I was taken to the doctor, it was when I had like lots of scabs and they treated me for eczema, which made everything lots worse. And it was Dad was working in a lab in Canada, in Winnipeg, and he sort of said that it was coming to the summer time and I really found summer difficult. And one of the people that he was speaking to said, you need to see Dr. Henry Freeson. He'll be able to tell you. And I think, according to Dad, all they did was they took a blood sample put it into a something. And as my dad said, he would love to do my blood test because he just loves things like that, being a scientist. And he would like to take a sample of me, a sample of himself and one of mum, and he wants to show me exactly what happens. I'm going, no, you're retired now. Enough.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask, is, is there any the genetics to it or those elements? The
2: genetics can be quite complicated, but it's now known this in about nine out of ten people, you, you guess it because you've got... Um, mutation in a gene that's, that's what tells your body to produce the enzyme that's mm. that's short in activity. But having that one mutation for one parent is usually not enough. So most people with e p p have the, the one sort of major mutation for one parent and they have a mild mutation which is given different names, polymorphism, hypomorphism, different names meaning a mild mutation which is actually extremely common. A mild mutation in the gene that tells your body to produce the predoclutase enzyme, which is the one that's short in this condition, is found in about a, a third of people in Japan, about 15% of people in Western Europe, about 2% of people in North Africa, which in Tunisia, in all the sunnuburn in East or South Africa, which is quite the condition, it's rare everywhere. You do see differences in different parts absolutely of Absolutely fascinating, yeah. But, I mean, in the past we didn't, we still don't know the inheritance to some people, but most people, it's that matter. And so mm. almost certainly one of you. Yes, well, if you'd well, done that a little test, you would have
0: found that. <laughs>
1: I think it's come down my mum's side, because there's two other people in our family that have it. My mum has it very, very mildly. Very mildly, to the point that she's never... I think she must have been tested years ago, but she it doesn't really affect her. My mum's cousin's son, who is older than me, he has it, and my mum's other cousin's son's. I was always told that Simon, my cousin, he was way worse than I was. But in actual fact, he isn't because he can wear a hat and he can go short sleeves and he can run Mm -hmm. and so on. So he's not got it as bad as I have. And Andrew has other issues. So having EPP is sort of down there in the list of his problems. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm the only one. I've got three siblings, none of them have it. (laughs) Uh, And I, I actually don't mind because as long as my two boys don't have it, I mean, you live your life. Don't get me wrong but it would be ideal not to have it
0: yeah yeah on the subject of living your life how does this affect you in your life in your day-to-day life work going on holidays all the sort of things that
1: people it, do well if i let it affect me i'd probably just stay in a room away from the windows because you can't be next to the windows and i would do very little if i go back to before i had the implant hanging the washing out I could last two minutes in the garden, pegging, washing out in the sun before I can feel a tingling. And it's difficult to describe if you don't have EPP. You just know, I just know I'm being burnt. So I probably couldn't hang the washing out. You have to think about where you sit in transport. So if you're going on a bus or a train, or even in a car, you have to cover up. Bus and a train, you have to think about the windows that you're sitting next to. At work, I probably have chosen a career that is primarily inside Although, to be fair, we're out an awful lot in primary school anyway. Holidays, I used to not ever go abroad. We never went abroad when we were kids. But that was partly me, but also financial. With four children, you can't really hop on mm-hmm. a plane all the time. Nowadays, I love a hot holiday because you don't get very much heat in Scotland. So I love going abroad for that. I love skiing. And skiing's ideal because you have to cover up anyway. So that's mm-hmm. fantastic. So I don't let it affect me really if I did want to do it, like I say, I would just be a hermit in a wee room. But I'm not doing that.
0: And on that theme of covering up, how do you do that? Is it clothing and lotions? What do you do in practice?
1: Um, literally, I don't have any sun cream because no sun cream works. So I never, I've never. i tried lots of them. I've tried the Dundee sun cream. There was one some that have titanium in them sometimes, maybe probably make a difference. But generally, I don't. I have to have quite thick clothing pre the implant i would have to double layer so i'd have to have two thin tops on when i found out about buffs they were revolutionary so i wear a buff all the time big hat has to be wide brim hat quite thick gloves so they're described as uh, winter running gloves i wear them in the summer obviously thick trousers and i always have to have socks on with um shoes i well, could wear sandals in class but that's if you're in a room that you know you're not going to be burnt but even in a sort of reflecting white room or um, near windows, if I was to wear no socks in my classroom, for example, which is South facing, brilliant, and covered in windows, I have to make sure I stay away from the bright patches. So that's how I would cope with it.
0: And you're sitting in the room with us here with the this light in the room. This is fine. Yeah. This you is don't fine. have any sort of no, issues. No. With, so indoors, you're fine.
1: I think, yeah, because when I had the boys, both of them had to be in the incubator. They were very concerned about me putting my hands in it, so I just didn't, and the light went off and I picked the boys up. But I also have had heart surgery, and I've had my gallbladder out, and the heart surgery was where we had to think about was it okay to have the light on and direct where my heart was, but that was okay. That didn't affect me at all.
2: Some some people, it has been a a
1: problem.
2: It's it's of operating theatre lights. Mm -hmm. Um, LED reading lamps and things can can sometimes be a problem. So they are some they of them close to the skin. So even even you know, I like this. I think if you, if you were right next to it, oh, really? more enough, you probably would have trouble with it. Yeah. But normal lights, you're, you're not not so close to, it,
0: so you just don't get to, right to the same toes. Yeah. Marie, is there any sort of elements of this that you've sort of learnt along your way and learning all these rare dermatology <laughs> well, conditions?
3: learned a lot from Claire <laughs> um, over the past few years and you've definitely helped us out with different meetings and I think you know it really I suppose you know I'm relatively new to dermatology I've been doing it for three years and I think it was only when I started dermatology that I began to appreciate actually the effect and I, I think if someone had to come to me in an earlier stage of my career and said you know I'm allergic to sunlight I would have really thought is that really is that a thing -hmm. is that a thing and so I think actually Claire's description you know the way you describe it and it's not it's a burning tingling and I think people with EPP are very good at describing this pain but it's like no other pain that actually Mm -hmm. you hear described in in lots of other conditions and so it has been um, really good and obviously you'll come on to talk about the alpha melanotide and how that has really changed things and I guess a pretty new treatment and mm-hmm. certainly it's only been available in Scotland in the last few mm-hmm. years and
1: Claire is one of the first person Oh
0: well, to that, look that little can we move so on to <laughs> that straight away <laughs> we Claire, Claire we move back to you and then
1: Well I mean I've, we've tried loads of different things over the for about I don't know 20 years or something we've done sort of light treatment that didn't work I ended up like a salmon I think after 1 minute 20 seconds in the cubicle the iron that was a nightmare but this was Unbelievable! I think we talked. We talked about it a while ago, but in its initial stages, and there was a bit of mm, I don't know about this. But then, when it became apparent that actually the benefits may outweigh any potential side effects, and so it was like a carrot though for quite a while because it wasn't going to be available. And I thought, well, do you know, in my lifetime, it would have been so lovely if I'd been able to have something. And funnily enough, when I was on holiday in New York I was playing tennis. <laughs> fully clothed and a lady who was at the playing on another tennis court she was a German doctor and she, she spoke to my mum and she said uh, is that your daughter and mum sort of said yes and uh, do you know what she has and mom said, uh, yes she's got EPP and it's this and she said oh I'm so pleased you were diagnosed and does she have there's a, a new drug out and mum said oh yes we've heard about it but she can't access it at the minute And it was only it had been on German TV that a young lad had had it and it changed his life. So he was able to play golf and so on. I mean, I played golf anyway, badly, but covered up. And so the first one we had, we had to make a a benchmark as to what difference would it make if it was going to make any difference. And going back to such a middle aged housewife thing to do is to hang your washing out. I love that. And so beforehand, like I say, two minutes and I would start feeling the sort of I just know it's not a bird, it's, it's so weird, you just know. It's like I just know when I can't go out into the sun. So throughout the start of March, probably the first two weeks, I'm grand. And then it's almost like overnight and it's really sunny. You go, right, that's me done. I have to cover up now. And the same, it's more gradually. So you've got a covered. kind of
0: winter and summer person, maybe. Yeah.
1: I'm a very much winter summer <laughs> I love all seasons. But uh, now I can actually hang a load of washing out. And probably last between 8 and 10 minutes without any gloves or a hat on. Which is, for me, is such a small thing for other people, but for me it's life-changing. Today, I literally am in one layer. It's not particularly thick, but I could walk around in the sun in this wow. probably for about an hour or so and not be burnt. Whereas before, I'd have been absolutely cooked through it. I didn't wear a buff on my way to here. I did have to put a hat on because I'm not testing it to the limit and I would get burnt. But I didn't have to wear a buff on the way here in the car. And I would have had to do that two years ago, just with the reflection from other cars and just light. At the weekend, we were wearing a sort of activity weekend and uh, we're on a loch sailing and kayaking and stuff. And I did wear a buff, but on the Sunday, we were messing about because there's no wind at all. We're on paddle boards. And my lovely son decided that I had to get wet. But I've made him wait until at least half an hour before we went in because if you've got wet buff you can't actually breathe through it so you think you're gonna drown and uh i was about 40 minutes without a buff with just my big hat and a helmet and whatever in a wetsuit and i came away with it and i there's nothing burnt i was fine which is
0: I'm I'd love to know how this works. Could Maurice, could you? Yeah.
3: Uh... Absolutely. So, I guess alpha melanotide is what the, the impact that you're referring to It's a medication that's used to treat EPP. And, like you said, it has been in the pipeline. And I guess you've heard lots about it for years because it was actually licensed in 2014. But it's only in the last few years that it's been available in Mm -hmm. Scotland. And if it's not a whole Scottish audience listening to this podcast, unfortunately, it's not available in the rest of the UK yet. And it's similar to a hormone in the body known as alpha melanocyte stimulating hormone, um, which stimulates the production of eumelanin. And eumelanin is that brown black pigment in the skin. And it's generally produced by exposure to sunlight and it blocks the penetration of light into the cells. And obviously, as Dr. Daw said earlier, patients with EPP have high levels of protoporphyrin 9 and that's phototoxic. So when exposed to light, it causes the painful uh, reactions that you have described so vividly over the course of this talk. And I guess one theory is that by stimulating the production of the eumelanin in the skin, The alpha melanotide reduces the penetration of light through the skin to help prevent these painful reactions and allow patients with EPP spend more time out in visible light. And it also seems likely we know eumelanin is an antioxidant and we know lots of antioxidants have been trialled in EPP. But the fact that alpha melanotide you are getting so much more antioxidant in the skin, that could also be helpful in this case. So in terms of practicalities, you've had it now a few times, but it's an implant and it's injected. So it's just
0: underneath your skin, as exactly, a little is injection, or a...
3: Yes, and we do it under local anaesthetic. Yep. So that's probably the most painful part of the procedure is getting the local anaesthetic. I yeah. think you would have Where,
0: where do you agree. have, you implants,
3: have you um, you, Just and on it's your, just on your, yeah, yeah, and the number of implants you get um, depends, I guess, on the severity of your symptoms and it's injected every two months generally around you know from spring to autumn time most patients in Dr. Joe's experience have required about two or three implants to get them over that time period. But the maximum licensed um, is four implants per Mm. year. And I think how many have you had?
1: I've just had two, but I I don't think I would need any more to be honest. So
3: after each implant, um, then you would have a consultation with Dr. Mm -hmm. Joe, see how you're getting on and we really gauge how many you need based on your response. And um, you've obviously done very well with two implants getting you from spring to autumn time. And I think you would agree that it's generally very well tolerated.
1: Oh, that's great. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I haven't had any side effects. I think the first time, the very first one I had, possibly maybe a day or two later, I had a bit of a sore head and uh, I didn't feel just 100%. I, I happened to be on the phone to my mom and she said, well, of course, you're introducing a foreign body into your body, Claire. As though, come on, have yeah. a wee yeah. word. Yeah. Well, thanks, right. sciencey mom. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's not
3: me. <laughs> But um, yeah, the main side effects that some people get are a little bit of nausea, a bit of a mm. headache, like you described, or even a reaction at the site of the implant. But generally, in
1: our experience, it has been very well tolerated. Brilliant, yeah. Most of the benefits way outweigh oh, the risk yes. in Brilliant. most cases, yeah. I do have two marks on either side that look a bit like bruises, and nice lines like that, and I think that's just my brown bit. Really? <laughs> you know, it's all got a bit <laughs> My <wrong>. tan. Yeah, <laughs> the
0: sort of local oh. melanocytes, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: So I'm just delighted, I'm That's
0: so absolutely okay to have uh, it. And Robert, were there any other things you'd like to add to that? Um, you you know, know. I mean,
2: in terms of treatments, probably Narrowband Ultraviolet B is still the useful for, for most people. I you know it didn't work for you. Uh-huh. Um, and so I should maybe mention a wee bit about that, because this is something that might be offered and for most people does work. I mean, it might sound daft using light treatment for a light mm. problem, but the, the idea is that you give measured doses of ultraviolet B rays, which are very far on the spectrum away from the visible light rays that cause the EPP, and to, to build up a tolerance in various ways, including also inducing new melanin production mm-hmm. and all various other things. It affects the skin immune system in various other ways. But uh, along with the ultraviolet B, you unavoidably get a, a wee bit of visible light. The way the lamps work, we produce visible light as well. And that might be why, why you don't yeah. tolerate yeah. it. I wonder if it would make a difference
1: now, you've got an implant then. Yeah, well, that,
2: that that is maybe something worth, worth considering, yeah, actually. I mean, as, far, as far as I know, ultraviolet B treatment and the implant haven't been tried for dysphagic porphyria, but it has been tried actually for another completely different condition called this like or we'll get white patches in
0: the skin.
2: Oh, yeah, and, yeah. And, and the two have been deliberately used together, so we know they can't safely be used together. Yeah. Um, and
0: it's something we should, we should maybe discuss. the
2: experiment. <laughs> 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 oh,
0: and, Claire, I'd like to get back to one element of this that really, I suppose, surprised me, It was, was the pain with it. I hadn't realised that there's skin conditions that can cause that amount of pain. Mm-hmm. Could you describe what actually happens if you had a bad episode?
1: If I think back, because I haven't been burnt for that long because I just, it's too sore. Possibly, yeah, the last time I got burnt, I was camping and the boys a little and it was been windy and it was really sunny before buffs, etc. And the pain is something that you just start being itchy. So you start off and it's it's sore and you know you've been burnt. And then you just want to claw your skin. But when you start scratching, it's really sore. Then it's the heat, cold, sensitive mm-hmm. situation, which is so awful i I mean it's really bad because you get too hot and that hurts and then you get too cold and that hurts so there's a fine balance and it takes probably before afloanotides that's another thing if i have been caught out the symptoms disappear very quickly whereas before you would be two to three days certainly your pain and heat sensitive would last at least two days and you can take any number of tablets doesn't make any difference Not even the placebo effect of a tablet made any difference. So you kind of had to just sort of uh, put your big girl pants on and just get on through that. Once that had happened, probably about a week later, I primarily get burnt on my top lip underneath my nose or my nose, which is why I'm quite scarred. And it would be a sort of purple, you'd see purple almost like a, a bruise coming out. To describe it to my kids in school when I tell them that I'm allergic to the sun, so it's like being burnt from the inside out mm-hmm. and so what then happens is that i know i'm gonna get cracks and your skin splits and you end up with cuts as though you've you've taken the you know you've watched yourself taken the yeah. and that takes probably about another week at least to heal and you end up just with scars everywhere quite a lot of events that i went to when i was little because i'm quite a lot older than my cousin one of my cousins i was his godmother and I was 16 and I'd been burnt so all the photos have got me with scabs Mm. under my nose which is a bit rubbish but you know what there's worse things to have in life so
0: it's so good to hear that this new treatment's helping
1: with all that sort of thing and
0: just your quality of life I suppose is
1: improved with that certainly don't get me wrong you can make what you make of it Mm -hmm. so I've always tried to be more positive about it because what else can you do? But this just makes it just slightly better. You can sit outside in the garden with just a big brimmed hat on round a table, eating your tea maybe under a sun umbrella, which I couldn't have done before. And that's amazing.
0: Big, big change. Oh, yeah.
1: huge. That's great.
0: Okay, thank you so much. And I mean, just rounding up now, are there any bits that we've not covered, bits that I've maybe not um, steered d- into our conversation? <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, I was absolutely correct. I have no gallbladder anymore because... I think we diagnosed that I had gallstones, and I had suffered from them since I was about twenty-one. I remember at uni, thinking I was having a heart attack, and actually that would have been the start. And Mum had said, at the time, I think you've got gallstones, but when I went to all the GPs, they were saying, "Well, you're not fair fat and forty, so it can't possibly be that." But it was the crystalline. I actually asked to keep them, but I wasn't allowed. <laughs> I, I think everybody room, does yeah. <laughs>
0: wasn't
1: like that. Oh shame! But when I was pregnant, both times, I mean, it was dead easy sorry it was i was very lucky i love being pregnant but i did end up with pregnancy related osteoporosis because i never even thought about doubling up on the vitamin d at that time so your bone density obviously because you're not getting the same light from the sun so any epp patient that is pregnant needs to whack a load of that in. Mm -hmm. and as a result i've got wedge fracture in my spine but again i can still do it so stuff.
0: that supplement do you need that supplement at the I, moment you on, you on that yeah.
1: as well
3: tablets that i take every okay. single but you
0: need it boosted during pregnancy and
3: That's speaking awesome. about pregnancy did
1: it affect your pregnancy in any way or how were your boys tested when you uh, n- no i mean it never affected me in the pregnancy although i was hoping because i'd heard that sometimes when you're pregnant your epp symptoms are lessened but i didn't notice that i had both of them early but that was okay there are when they are early Jack had his blood tested probably the first day that he was born on the Saturday night so maybe the Sunday and he'd had to have three tests before they discovered it wasn't because I had him in PRI and by the time the blood got here it wasn't a good enough sample Tom I had here because he was five weeks early and I think I had the core blood tested so for the first three days of his life we thought he had EPP because they'd obviously got I get emotional about this they got um, my core blood in it so day four i think both of them quite jaundiced nicely tanned and uh, day four they wanted to put him in a whatever and they wanted to do they were actually talking about giving him a blood sample because he was quite young and they tested him again and found that he hadn't got it and it was the best ever it was almost like my first miracle it was amazing so yeah those are the only things i would say that was different in the boys. I don't know how it would happen in the future because obviously they they may well be carriers, but
2: uh, they probably will carry. Yes, yeah, so, uh, it, 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 it would be worth testing. Tested. Uh, it, it used to be able to be easy to get testing for the mild mutation, but it's now fairly easy to get the genetics of the major mutation as well. So, so they should, they should be tested. Okay, that'd be useful advice to sort of pass. Yeah. Pass The yeah. other uh, Obviously, just for what you're mentioning was you were mentioning sort of visible light phototherapy for jaundice in the newborn, and the type of light that's used for that is usually exactly the wrong light for EPP. Is it? <laughs> um, and, 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 and and so that's one, one of the reasons why some centres like here, nursery centres, do, do, do a test on cord blood just really as a, a a sort of crude screening test right, okay. to, to see whether or not it looked as though you would, would be able to give yeah. visible light safely yeah. if you had to. But yeah, I, I'm very lucky they don't have it
1: at the minute, so... And it's not the done thing to be out in the sun these days anyway. So quite, yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. I think when, when I had Tom, my mother-in-law kept going on and on and on about how poor Tom was and it was such a shame and how was how he going to cope? By the end of it, she'd witted on so much that I actually had told her in no uncertain terms, if you didn't have EPP, your life is rubbish. <laughs> which quite clearly is not quite the case but she had wound me up to her a little bit <laughs> so sorry Mary
0: <laughs> uh, uh, well th- thank you all Chair Robert Maurice for this conversation I've learned a lot and hopefully our listeners are going to learn a lot from this conversation and learning from your experience with this condition so yeah a huge thank you you're very welcome and For those of you that are listening, uh, there's a wealth of other information on the NHS Photobiology website. To find these details, you can get the information linked to this podcast and our series of podcasts. So once again, huge thank you to all of you.